0: word, uh, please turn to Psalm 95, Psalm 95. Uh, it's, it's a, I hope we never lose the, the joy uh, that right now as we gather here to hear God's word and to pray. Uh, that our children are being taught the the, the deep truths of God in in classes. Uh, It's a wonderful thing, and, you know, sometimes I think we take that for granted in terms of what happens week in and week out. Uh, But, you know, Jenny and I were talking this past week about our children's ministry, and we don't have a whole lot of fluff in there, but we have a lot of Bible uh, going to our kids, and that's uh, something we should rejoice in. Well, uh, this is a wonderful passage of Scripture to both encourage us uh, as well as to challenge us. So let's dive into God's Word now. Psalm 95, beginning in verse 1. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Heavenly Father, we pray as we study your word tonight that we, indeed your people, would understand that you are our God, you are our maker, our creator, our rock our great king, and we are your people. I pray, God, that you would allow us to understand even more what it means to worship and obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, This is a wonderful psalm, and it almost feels like two different psalms kind of coming together. This is actually one of the psalms that has one of the longest quotations in the New Testament, which we'll get to in a, a second. Uh, we're kind of continuing to work through all, all the psalms uh, of, of book four, uh, and we get to Psalm 95 today, and it begins with this, this invitation that God does to, uh, to his people to worship. Uh, so it begins in verse one: one, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Never overlook that word, come. We are sinners. We are rebels. We have disobeyed God, and what does our great heavenly Father do? He invites us to come. He says, come to me. Uh, The fact that God has an invitation to come to his people is a precious, precious thing that we dare not overlook. But how should we come? Let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Uh, We should be, as God's people, praise the name of the Lord. Uh, When we come and gather week in and week out, we should come with hearts ready to sing, Uh, which means sometimes, beloved, uh, you should listen to the songs throughout the week to prepare your hearts to sing. Uh, We send out those songs every week in that Monday morning email. That's not just so that you can know what's coming, it's so that you can prepare yourself to worship. Because when we gather as God's people, the, the joy and the singing of the saints encourages everyone around us. Uh, mostly I'm up front uh, during, during our, our gatherings and oftentimes I've been on the stage when people sing and uh, sometimes I can't always hear people. But when we drop the instruments and we hear the voices of God's people, it is a powerful thing. Uh, when I was at the prayer and praise tonight this past week and sitting near the back, uh, just hearing people sing behind me. Uh, Sometimes, several times throughout the service, I just kind of closed my eyes and leaned back and hear the the beautiful voices of God's people singing. That's what we should do each and every week. Uh, And I I hope that you know how hard sometimes it is to to kind of put together uh, music for a Sunday morning service. Our our musicians labor, labor, uh, sometimes late into the night night on Wednesday, practicing and preparing so that we could come together with a beautiful noise and praising God. So let's all of us have our hearts ready to, to worship. And we know that sometimes we're not always ready uh, to worship on a Sunday morning. We may be stressed. We may be overwhelmed. We have that time right at the beginning, that that brief moment of silent reflection to really prepare our hearts to sing to the Lord that we've been invited to give him praise. Just look at the the language here, this joyful noise, the uh, thanksgiving, joyful noise with songs of praise. That should be the heart's cry of God's people. We see the same thing in the book of Ephesians and and Colossians, that God's people should come with with, with psalms and hymns and and spiritual songs praising our great God. This is exactly what it says. The reason why we come with this joyful noise is in verse 3. For, there's the purpose. We come and sing and make a joyful noise, the rock of our salvation. We come into his presence with, for the Lord is a great God, a great king above all all gods. In our day, there is a, um, a, a plethora or a pantheon of gods that people worship. And, and we should understand that our God is the one and only God. He is the great God, great king above all gods. It's going to become harder and harder in, in, to be in America uh, to stand strong in a uh, monotheistic view meaning that you believe that there is only one God and He's showed himself as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, our God, three in one. Well, every time you put that, that, that forth, what happens is, is people who don't believe that are looking at you as being judgmental and closed-minded. If you hold to a monotheistic view of God, you will look, be looked at as closed-minded and small, maybe even a bigot. But let me encourage you not to, not to fret them because we serve our great God. He is the great king above all gods. There is only one. And we see the reasons why we can, we can see that right there in verse 4 and 5. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. Just look what it says here. To the farthest depths of the earth, to the highest mountain, they belong to the Lord. Uh, from the sea and all that, uh, that, that expanse of water to all the dry land, that belongs to the Lord because he made it. He spoke it into existence. Do you understand why one of the first serious challenges to the Christian faith in our nation was the challenge of creationism with the, the theory of evolution, that, that there was another way that this world was created? well, if they, if, they, if they can get you to believe that there is another way that our world was created outside of God's sovereign hand, well, then you won't understand the depth of his greatness. You won't understand that everything in this world belongs to him. And you won't understand that you have a personal responsibility to him, your maker, as we see here in a moment. If you're ever struggling, uh, this is what the Lord Jesus would tell us. If we're struggling with our own trust in the Lord, he says, go take a walk, look outside, Look at all that, that is, is happening right now that has nothing to do with you. We all get that moment, right, where we feel like our life is falling apart, right? The plates are all spinning and we don't know how to, how to do all the things that we think that the Lord is asking us to do. But sometimes what he says, he says, be still and know that I'm God. Look around you and see that the, the, the flowers bloom every spring. They don't need you to do it. Uh, the birds of the air are fed in abundance, they do not need us. If God cares for them, how much more will He cares for you? He knows every hair on your head, every thought in your mind. This is why we worship in verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Uh, that idea that God is our Maker is a wonderful thing because it reminds us that He is God and we are not. He is the creator. We are not. He is the potter and we are but the clay. We should not tell him how he should do his business in our life. We should just say, thank you Lord for being our maker, our God, our king, our sovereign Lord who directs our steps. But we want to come and worship and bow down. Because he is our maker. It even says here, let us kneel before the Lord. You know, there is a posture of worship. Now, we know that there is um, God cares more about the inward heart than the exterior appearance. You know, God cares about how we worship from the heart. I mean, he says that throughout the scriptures that they're, um, they, they, they praise me with their lips, but their hearts were far from me. So if we want to err any way, we want to have our hearts filled with the Lord. And yet we want to make sure that when we approach the Lord in a manner that is worthy to him. Uh, and every single one of us in this room, if I was going to ask you what you think is irreverent, or what you think is reverence, you may all have a different answer. Some of you think it's irreverent to wear a hat in church. Some of you think it's irreverent to wear flip-flops. Some of you think it's irreverent to wear jeans in a Sunday morning gathering. Some of you, the list goes on and on. We all have our own cultural makeup, right? But we want to make sure that when we approach the Lord that our hearts are pure before Him, right? And we don't want to be looking at everyone's exterior appearance. What we want to be looking at is the Lord. He is our maker. We come here not to uh, to criticize, not to judge. We come here to, to do what? To worship. To worship. To bow down our hearts before Him, for He is our, our Maker. And I love verse 7. For He is our God, and we are, his, are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. This image of God being our shepherd is, is a common theme throughout Scriptures. I uh, read Psalm 23 at Mr. Iris' funeral this past Monday, uh, that great Psalm of David, the Lord is our shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall not fear, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they they, they comfort me. You lead me before the presence of my enemies. You, you create a table before me, Right, my... my goodness and mercy will follow me my cup overflows goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and i will dwell in the house of the lord forever that 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 psalm has has done what has blessed the saints for generations why because it reminds us that that we're just sheep and god's our shepherd and if you look at sheep sheep aren't too bright we all make mistakes. We, we do the same thing. We struggle with the same thing repeatedly. And yet God says, I will make you my people. I will lead you. I will guide you. Uh, sometimes I will correct you with my staff, but most often I will, I will lead you out front. Um, we know that we become God's people primarily through what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And what has the good shepherd the Lord Jesus done for us? He's laid down his life for us. To, to buy us back to his fold. He, he rescued us from the domain of darkness by dying for us, going to the grave, and then overcoming the grave through his resurrection from the dead. And what he says, I'm going to make you part of my sheepfold, and now I'm going to send you out so that those who are not yet in my sheepfold may come in. He would call them to repentance. If you look at this, this, the first seven verses of this psalm, you're like, amen, right? Let's come and let us worship and bow down. We're ready to rock and roll. And if the psalm ended right there, we'd be like, we're good. But it doesn't. Right after this call to inviting God's people to worship, he gives us a very strong and stern warning. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Well, we know that he's the great king above all gods. We know that he's the one who forms everything. He's the creator. He knows the, the, the depths of the sea, the heights of the mountains, the land and the sea. They belong to him. We, he made us. We are his people. Why in the world would we harden our hearts against him? Well, because we're sinners. And, and that, that the seed of Adam and Eve, the desire that we want to be God-like that we want to do things our own way is very alive in us. So he gives this rebuke to God's people. Don't mishear me. This is a rebuke and a, a calling to God's people, to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, they they are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is a a throwback to the book of Exodus. Uh, In Exodus chapter 17, God had just done these ten miracles, these 10 plagues. He spoke 10 words over Egypt and, and gave the, Egyptian, uh, the Egyptians defeat and Israelites victory, uh, parting the Red Sea, and they walked across on dry land, and all the, the, the water fell upon the, uh, the Egyptians, and they all drowned. And you have Miriam's great song in chapter 15, rejoicing in what God has, has done. And here, only two chapters later, probably within weeks, they get to a place and there's no water and they curse Moses. How dare you, Moses, bring us here to die? We would have been better off in Egypt. Did you not just see what I did to Egypt? Did you not just see the, the, the plagues that I put down upon Egypt to, to show you that I am the Lord? That's the refrain all throughout the plagues. I'm going to do this that so you would know that I am the Lord. I am the Lord, and then they get to a place when they actually have to put their faith into practice, they wither. I wonder how many times that's like us. We know the Lord, right? We, we have our theology, but then our theology is kind of thrust in our face and we're in a moment when we actually have to trust God in that moment. Are we going to be like the, the saints of the Old Testament, who harden their hearts against God's goodness, or are we going to trust Him even in the midst of a perceived trial. It says today, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, though they had seen my work. Beloved, we have seen the work of the Lord, right? We have seen the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have seen God be faithful to you again and again and again. You know, I, I, I've said this to, even to my own heart. In, in the fall, I was... There's so many times I feel that like the Lord has kind of showed me again and again his faithfulness to our body, his faithfulness to our body, his faithfulness to our body. And God has just continued to answer prayer left and right. And then there's those moments where I'm kind of like, Is he going to show up this time? What about this time? And every time, what does he do? He shows himself faithful. And he reminds me do not harden your heart like the saints of old at Meribah. I am your God. But the danger here is that God said in um, Psalm 95, verse 11, therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. He made all that generation walk around in the desert for 40 years and then fall before they were able to enter the promised land. They were not able to experience the the fruit uh, of the promised land, the promised land that God had uh, promised even to Abraham. So if with me, just turn to Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. I want us to see this in its entirety, uh, and then we'll close here. Uh, We don't know who wrote the book of of Hebrews, um, but we we know it's it's a glorious book. If you read it, there is no doubt this is the word of the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. And just see how the argument of this writer goes back, pulls out this psalm in the Old Testament. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, this is just a sidebar, if anybody says the Old Testament is not relevant, the text just he said here that the Holy Spirit says the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is always relevant. Read your Old Testament, beloved. Um, that was free. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I have provoked, I was provoked with that generation and, and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest." Now he's speaking to the church here in verse 12, "Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Beloved, one of my great prayers, is that we here would not fall away from the living God. And one of my great fears and the great sadnesses that fill my heart is when brothers and sisters fall away from the truth. I've been preaching through 1 John, and John often says, I have no greater joy, no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. And I can just say I have no greater sadness when God's children walk away from the truth with a sinful, unbelieving heart. Verse 13, it says, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin because right now as we gather, every single one of you has a responsibility. You're hearing the word of God go forth and the word of God go forth is coming forth for you so that you would believe in Christ, that you would hold fast to Christ, but it's not only coming for you, it's coming for everyone around you. You're hearing this word together and your job is to encourage one another with this word and exhorting them to hold on to Christ until that day. Every one of us could be allured or tempted by the evil one and drift away from Christ. It doesn't start all the time, at one moment. I mean, it doesn't happen all at one, at one, second, at one time. There's a slow drift that happens before we fall off the cliff. Verse 14. If we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold as our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were these who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses and with whom he was provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who, who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom he did not, did, did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. They were unable to enter the promised land because they did not believe in the promise. They did not believe in the promise giver, the Father, and the sending of his Son. Therefore, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 1, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. This is not the rest of the promised land. This is the rest of eternal glory. Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news comes to us just as to them, but but the messages they heard did not benefit them because they were not united to it by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. It's a fascinating study if you look from Genesis to Revelation about the rest of God. So you see God rested in, in Genesis. You see the end of, of Joshua, the people rested. You see in David's day that all that there was rest from all their enemies. This idea of rest is a theme woven throughout the whole Bible, because we are all going towards a place of final rest when we will be with God's people. Now rest does not mean no labor. It just means that no working for your salvation, because you could rest in that. Because it has already been purchased for you in Christ, as you see here. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a day, a certain day today, saying that through David it is so long afterward, in the words they already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whatever, for whoever has entered God's rest, has also rested from his works as God rested from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall into the same sort of disobedience. You hear what it's saying here. We could fall into that disobedience. We could be deceived. We could not trust in Christ. So we have to work, we have to labor, we have to strive to continue to believe in the gospel. Right now, there are forces in this world that want your soul. They they, they want your soul to believe in the things of this world more than the things of God. They want you to love the things of this world. And, And they come at you in all sorts of ways. They come at you through the radio, through Netflix, through your phone, To try to to create affections and desires that are not of God so that you would slowly drift away. I see it happen time and time again when I'm talking to people. When I hear the stories of parents talking about their children, how they were slowly just drifted away from the Lord. But we stand in this, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of a heart. And no creature is hidden from His sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. What God is saying here is today, do not harden your hearts. Do not think that what you do in private, in in your room behind a closed door, what you do in private, in in, in your own thoughts, that God does not see. God says it right here that every creature will be laid bare before him and you'll have to give an account for what you have done in this life. And on that day, the only thing that's going to matter is have you rested in Christ? Do you believe that Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again, ascended to heaven and is returning and that is your only hope for salvation? If that is it, then you will live a life of holiness and joy, gladly obeying him. You will do what Psalm 95 says. You will Come, bow before the Lord, your God, our maker. For we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. You'll live in obedience to him. So just as a plea from, from your pastor today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. But come into his presence with a heart bent to worship and bow down our Lord, our God, our Maker. Father, help us live a life for you. I pray all of us here, God, that when we hear your voice, when we hear your word, we would not harden our hearts and go towards disobedience, go towards unbelief, and forsake the promised land. God, there is still a rest that you have called. For us, the people of God, we pray, God, that you would allow us to strive to enter to it by trusting in the life, work, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us come and worship him each and every day, each and every week uh, as your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.